Hello and welcome to the Currency Exchange, NatWest FX podcast, where we help to break down the major themes and events driving currency markets this week and in the weeks ahead. Today, I'm joined by Paul Robson, who is our European G10 Head of Strategy and Research. And we'll be taking a deeper dive into European currencies and across the CE3 this week. However, before I get started on that, the major data focus this week was for US CPI and what it meant for the dollar. Um, it did not disappoint um, in terms of having a market reaction. Paul, what did you make of this week's US inflation release? It was a very important um, release. I think this year is all going to be about primarily about the, the dollar and Fed pricing, the sort of all important first Fed uh, cut, the depth, and, and ultimately the speed. So inflation is um, you know, a key part of uh, that. Uh, in terms of the release, you did actually see a market reaction. The, uh, the release showed inflation being a little bit stronger than expected. I say a little bit, we are down to sort of two decimal uh, places in terms of the, the data. But uh, the market reaction perhaps suggests that uh, some were expecting a, a weaker number the um, sort of whisper number, if you like, perhaps uh, below the formal market expectation. And therefore, we saw the uh, biggest reaction. Um, I don't think it changes the outlook greatly for Fed policy. I think really uh, it's just about the difference between pricing for a March start of a Fed easing cycle from May. And we think uh, that it's still going to be May. So for us, at least, it didn't uh, change the outlook dramatically. But for some, it probably just chips away at uh, market positioning. And Paul, what does all this mean for the dollar? Well, I think when we um, we look at the, the dollar, I don't think it changes the outlook uh, dramatically. But I, I think it does give you more confidence that the pullback in the dollar that we've seen this year uh, can continue. So one of the, the key themes of the end of last year was the dollar was coming under quite a lot of pressure. It, it tends to come under pressure in a, on a seasonal basis in December, and it, it, it unwinds that to some extent in, in January, and we were seeing that at the uh, beginning of the year. And this slightly stronger than expected uh, CPI number that, as I mentioned, uh, perhaps just shifts the balance away from markets looking for that first all-important Fed cut from uh, to come in March that comes later in, in May, uh, and that's uh, supportive. Um, there were other parts of the recent data that I think are important for the, the dollar. We obviously had that payroll report uh, last Friday, which was slightly stronger than expected. But one of the indicators that I like personally looking at is weekly initial jobless claims in the in the US. Now, it's not everyone's favourite uh, indicator. It's weekly, it's volatile, it gets impacted by uh, the weather and strikes, the timing of Christmas and deliveries, all kinds of uh, things. But this indicator of employment sentiment in, in the US is completely in the wrong ballpark for a central bank that is thinking about easing monetary policy, if that's what they're doing, and thinking about sort of early uh, this year. And it's not even a ballpark just down the road. This ballpark looks to be in another city. Uh, initial claims uh, bouncing along the, the lows. Um, they should be rising. They should have been rising a long time ago to ju justify confidence that the, the Fed um, would ease ag aggressively. So for me personally, I think that that's uh, a key indication that the dollar stays relatively uh, well supported at the beginning of the year until those Fed cuts come. 
Uh, and the other point for the, the dollar, and I think a lot of people miss this, is, and, and I'm always minded about FX being a relative business. It's about the US. Yes, the US is slowing. Inflation is sort of coming lower. The economy is weakening. But it, the economies of a lot of um, countries around the world are, are doing particularly uh, poorly. Inflation is coming down everywhere. Growth and activity uh, is weak. And I, I think for the dollar to turn meaningfully lower, the rest of the world is going to have to do more of the heavy lifting. So if we were getting softer inflation data and activity at the same time as the rest of the world was doing relatively well, then that would be a more obvious uh, negative for the dollar. Uh, but that's just not the case. So um, the data that we're seeing, um, both uh, inflation and some of the jobs numbers, just give us confidence that it's too early to look for the dollar to go down in a straight line immediately from here. I know markets definitely towards the end of the year were getting quite dovishly ahead of themselves. We certainly saw some of that bond market FOMO coming out to play. Um, I guess turning closer to home, we've had a lot of ECB central bank speakers this week and also kind of softer growth and inflation data. I mean, what were your key takeaways from this? Well, I think the the key takeaway from the the Fed, the actual ECB speakers, I, I think it's more about the the centre of gravity on the governing council of the ECB. I, I think it is uh, moving more to uh, the dovish side. I think that the arguments for the doves on the uh, committee, it's just becoming a, a little bit easier. It's being supported by the dollar, uh, by the data and by the sort of inflation data uh, in particular. Uh, and the arguments that are put forward by the hawks are just becoming uh, a little bit um, harder. So when we think about the data that we're getting uh, in terms of inflation in particular, well, the sort of run rate, the monthly run rates, when we annualize those up, are in line with the uh, the, the target of the, the ECB, around 2%. And they have been for the last uh, couple of uh, uh, months at least. And against that backdrop, it's very hard to make the case that monetary policy needs to be uh, the, uh, the sort of degree of tightness that we're currently uh, seeing. We don't need interest rates to be bearing down on an economy that is weak and inflation is currently running uh, around uh, target. So I think it's supportive of the view that the ECB is going to be at the sort of vanguard of the global easing uh, cycle. So we think the ECB goes first, we think the Fed goes sometime in the, the second quarter and then other central banks uh, follow up in the second half of the year. But that's certainly I think the key takeaways from the, the data, but also importantly, uh, recent uh, speakers. And I guess what you're saying about the ECB going first, I mean, what does this imply for the euro? Well, I, I think it means that the euro underperforms. Uh, I think that the currency has tracked interest rate expectations really quite tightly over uh, the last um, sort of year to, to 18 months. And if we're right in the ECB, uh, goes uh, first, and I, I think it continues to underperform. And I think the euro be one of the sort of underperformers in the European uh, sphere of uh, uh, currencies. Um, I think when we look at the the outlook for the euro, I think you have to be also mindful about the growth outlook in, in Europe. And for me personally, I find it very hard to see what the sort of external growth driver of European growth is going to be. It, traditionally, it's been global markets, it's been Asia, 
Um, that doesn't look like it's going to come through. I think the transition to uh, electrical vehicles, for example, is going to weigh on regional manufacturing, and you have the the impact of manufacturing on the service sector uh, as well. And so you get a combination of weak growth, low yield, um, and the euro continues to to underperform. So you know euro sterling lower, euro stocky, euro knocky. Uh, lower. Uh, the currencies that might do uh, not so well uh, against the, the euro, things like uh, the Swiss franc. And I also know that, um, not to steal some of your thunder, but I know that the, you've got quite a lot of differentiation within the, the C3 region as well, which I think is going to be you know, a fascinating area to watch uh, as we move through 2024. Yeah, and I guess picking up what you're saying about sterling, kind of moving closer to home, um, it's been relatively a lot more quiet for the UK this week. We did have um, Governor Andrew Bailey testifying, um, and I think you know, we're waiting on the GDP print later this week. But, you know, are you still you know relatively bullish on sterling? What's your view here? Yeah, a re- a relative constructive uh, on the currency. I, I think, as I said, euro sterling low. I think um, cable sterling dollar will be basing uh, here. I thought it's very interesting. You mentioned uh, Governor uh, Bailey's comments. Uh, he was talking, or he was testifying uh, to Parliament on financial stability. So monetary policy wasn't an obvious uh, topic to um, sort of talk about in front of uh, politicians. But he was making the point. And I think this is really important, actually. He was making the point about worries about global supply chains again, not necessarily that the the goods aren't being manufactured like they were, uh, sort of weren't being manufactured in uh, COVID, but being transported uh, around the world. And, and why that's important for the UK and sterling uh, is that inflation in the UK has come down uh, over the last sort of six months or so, but it's been goods price inflation that has driven that and service sector uh, inflation has been relatively uh, resilient, and that supports the idea uh, that the Bank of England sort of is one of the laggards in terms of uh, easing monetary policy, and that's why we think sterling does uh, relatively well. But if we get sort of global uh, inflation again in terms of goods, that's only going to make you more confident uh, that the Bank of England isn't cutting even in the second half of the year, for example, uh, and that can um, support the the currency uh, as well. Uh, for the currency as well, I think just looking through peak pessimism around UK growth, there was plenty of stories at the end of last year, whereas people people were talking about the outlook for the UK being poor, but it's poor in a number of major economies. So on a relative basis, uh, perhaps UK assets are perceived to be relatively cheap. And if that demand is coming from abroad, that means that you get some support uh, for the the currency as well, and I think that's uh, important. Uh, and then just fi- finally, a third point for supporting our sort of constructive uh, view on the currency. We just think that over the last two years, the UK has sort of transitioned to being just like a more normal economy. Some of the Pacific risks uh, around the outlook have gradually just been ticked off, uh, and so the outlook feels very much more about yield and growth. And as I said, the uh, yield environment looks like it's going to be supportive and the growth environment is its average. Uh, And so yields dominate, supports the currency. uh, And we think, uh, as I said, you're staying lower uh, and maybe support for sterling dollar. 
just picking up what you're saying there about you know yields you can definitely see that play out that we're still an environment where it's really kind of relative central bank policy and it's those central banks that you know kind of hold out the longest or ease the slowest whose currencies should really be supportive um, and definitely in my space within central and eastern europe you can really see that so we've had kind of political pandemonium um, in Poland this week, where, you know, it's really kind of this new pro-EU government who is trying to unwind kind of eight years of very populist nationalist rule and the opposition party are really kind of digging in and kind of, um, you know, really looking to undermine their control of power. And yet the Polish study has, you know, remained incredibly resilient. Actually, week to date, it's outperformed its C3 peers. And that's really all down to the central bank. So it doesn't matter if you have, you know, what politicians are calling a potential constitutional crisis. But if your central bank is saying that it's going to move extremely cautiously, it's actually refused to say, you know, whether it's in an easing cycle or not that really underpins your currency. I think, you know, given what's happening in Poland, we think that central bank policy needs to stay extremely tight. On the one hand, that's because, you know, this government needs to ensure that it consolidates its power. If you're going into a presidential election in 2025, and that their candidate wins that that office of of power. And therefore, fiscal policy will be easier. And it's also about, you know, reshoring kind of uh, investor confidence. They're very much focused on the currency and yields. They do not want to jump in yields, which is going to make their borrowing costs even more punitively expensive. So we certainly think that, you know, the Polish central bank will continue to keep policy very um, restrictive. Um, and that should really underpin uh, the currency, even in spite of what's going on uh, politically. Um, that's probably about all we have time for this week. We've definitely done a broad coverage across Europe. Paul, thank you so much for giving us your insights. And um, if you do like the podcast, make sure you click subscribe and do um, click like as well. Thank you very much. <laughs>